Come, Holy Spirit. Fill this sanctuary. Fill all of us who are in it. Lord Jesus, manifest your presence among us. We are so needy, Lord. We are here to know you and to seek you and to be fed by you. Heavenly Father, bring glory to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As most of us know, we have entered the liturgical season of Lent. Lent is an invitation to seek the presence of God. Lent is an invitation, a glorious invitation, a beautiful invitation, an appealing invitation, an irresistible invitation to seek the presence of God. You know, the presence of God is what every human being on the face of this earth is longing for and looking for and seeking for, although most of us don't know it. We are created for the presence of God. We were formed to live 24-7 in the presence of God. It's in the presence of God that is fulfillment, the presence of God that is fullness of joy, the presence of God that is meaning and purpose and beauty and contentment. It's in the presence of God that we come home. Where is home? Home is with our Father. Home is in the house of the Father, in the presence of the Father. That's what we were created for. The presence of God is a place of insight. How do we get insight? Father Chris wrote to us this week about examination, personal examination. How do we examine ourselves? How do we get in contact with the things that are influencing our lives that we're not even aware of? In the presence of God. There is insight. In the presence of God, there is healing. In the presence of God, we come into connection with discipleship. What is discipleship? This is what Jesus gave the church to do, make disciples. Discipleship can only take place in the presence of Jesus. In order to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to be with him. So discipleship is not something that can exist over here and the presence of God exists over here. Discipleship can only take place in the presence of Jesus. In the presence of God, there is healing. You know, so many, so many things just flood into my mind. I just want to tell you, uh, a lot of you know now that Hannah and I uh, spend half of our year in Germany. She's a Jewish Holocaust survivor from Germany. God began to lead us back there 15 years ago to her home area to start a new work. And in my mind, there is this picture of our last time there. It's a cafe in the village where we live. We live in the village of Dalem. Hannah's hometown is Gemund. Dalem is just outside of Gemund. We have an apartment there. We live there. There's a cafe in Gemund, in Dalem. The owner of the cafe is Connie. And she asked Hannah if Hannah would do a reading from her book. Hannah's book is now in the German language. If Hannah would do a reading in her cafe from the book. So Connie sent out all the invitations. The cafe was full. Hannah's in the process of reading from her book. I'm standing in the back. And all of a sudden, Connie appears. Here's Hannah reading. Connie's standing over here, waving at me 
to come into the back room, to go through the counter and come into the back room. Connie was obviously a bit distraught. So I'm thinking, I wonder what's going on. So Connie takes me into this back room, and there is a woman, obviously very, very disturbed, German woman. And she says to me, I must be able to talk with Hannah about forgiveness. In fact, I still remember the words she said to me. She said, Ich bin katholisch erzogen, aber ich habe nie erfahren, was Hannah erfahren hat. That means I was raised in the church, but I have never experienced what Hannah is talking about. And so some days later, we met with that woman. She was born in 1946. And she began to rehearse the brutality, the abuse, the pain that had been a part of her life ever since her birth. And all of a sudden, there was a Jewish-German Holocaust survivor whose parents were murdered by Germans, ministering to a German woman about the power of Christ to transform and heal the inner life. I wish I had taken a picture of that. Why wasn't I thinking? Where was my phone? (laughs) It was so beautiful. And there was a bond that took place in that meeting. Connie has in her cafe a table that's over in the corner. Nobody disturb you. And Hannah and this German woman sitting there sharing the beauty and the power of Christ to transform. Jesus heals Brothers and sisters, Jesus heals. He heals the brokenness. He heals the compulsivities. He heals the enslavement to that which we know is destructive to us. He heals it. He transforms. It takes place in the presence of God. Lent is an invitation to seek the presence of God. Seek. Why do we have to seek God's presence? If we're created to be with God, if that's why how we're made, why is it such a challenge? Why do we have to seek? Why doesn't it come naturally? Why is it so hard? Why does it feel so actually a bit unnatural, a bit strange, a bit unappealing to have to seek the presence of God? Why is that? It's a reflection of how damaged we are. See, we don't understand sin. We think sin has to do with guilt, and of course it does. It does. The foundational reality in our relationship with God is not, the ultimate foundational reality is not guilt. The ultimate foundational reality is a relationship has been broken. God created us for intimacy with himself. We rebelled and violated that relationship. That produced guilt in us. It also produced damage. We're damaged. How much are we in touch with the fact that we're damaged? We're not as we were when we came off the assembly line. The thoughts are damaged. The heart is damaged. The soul is damaged. The emotions are damaged. The body is damaged. Our relationships are damaged. We're damaged. And God looked down and saw us in our rebellion, in our damage, in our losses. We're all looking 
for the house of the Father, although we might not even know that. That's what we're looking for. We're all looking for the house of the Father. Don't know how to find it. Why? Because we're lost. Why are we so lost? Because we're so damaged. And that is why we have to seek God. We have to seek him. It's a pursuit. Now, how do we seek God? Well, there are practices that are centuries old, actually some of the millennia old practices that God's people have used down through the centuries, down through the millennia in the pursuit of God. And in the gospel reading this morning, we see Jesus entering into one of these pursuits. Now, you can call these spiritual disciplines if you want to. Some people, the word discipline immediately puts up flags. So we're trying to connect with the reality of these things in a way that's beneficial and whole and redemptive. Spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, if you like. And the discipline that we see Jesus entering into this morning is solitude. And the other Gospels tell us Jesus was led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit led the Son into the wilderness. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't broken, but he was human. And in a way that we won't fully comprehend, he needed to seek his Father. And we see Jesus doing this throughout his life. Jesus rose up, Mark 1, a great while before day and went out to a solitary place and there prayed. Luke 6, before Jesus chose the uh, disciples, he spent all night in prayer to God. Garden of Gethsemane, after he instituted the Eucharist, Jesus went out into the garden, took the three with him, wait with me. Oh, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, let it pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your wills be done. So Jesus throughout his life is pursuing God in solitude and other practices as well, of course. The American soul is bruised and bleeding because of all the activity. We don't know how to be quiet. I was had a relationship, you know, some years ago with a pastor on the East Coast. He'd been a pastor for 20 years. He knew his time with the church was coming to an end. He didn't know how to let go. They didn't know how to be honest with him. He was in crisis. And he wanted to talk with me. And I said to him, look, come to Arizona. And give me as many days as you can give to just be in solitude. So he could arrange two or three days in his schedule. I said, okay, that's the start. And so he came, and he you know, he's getting ready to go into solitude, and he had his notepad. I still see him there. He had his notepad. He wanted to make sure he got it right. How do you have solitude? You know, what is the right thing to do? He wanted to get all the notes down so he'd do it right. What do we do in solitude? Well, we, we learn to do nothing. That's what we do. We come into the presence of God and wait. God is in charge. I'm not in charge. God is in charge. Solitude is I remove myself from activity. I remove myself from noise. I turn off my phone. I don't open my email. I leave the internet aside. I don't bring all my work that I have to do tomorrow. I'm alone and quiet in the presence of God. And I'm there. And I listen. Father, I love you. What do you want to say to me?
You know, the soul. Do you know that you have a soul? Are you in touch with your soul? Would you like to be in touch with your soul? Spend a day in solitude with God and you will emerge, if, for no, if with nothing else, knowing that you have a soul. You have a soul. And that soul is longing for God. As the deer, said the psalmist, pants for water streams, so pants my soul after thee, O God. That's the cry of the lost human being. Oh God, my soul is panting for you. And in God's presence, you know, it's like if we walk through the woods, we come to a stream or a, a spring, the water's pure, we take a stick and stir it up, and the water's full of mud, isn't it? Mud and leaves and twigs. And once we stop stirring it, the water is still all with mud and twigs and leaves in it. And it takes time for that water, all the mud to settle, all the twigs to settle, all the leaves to settle. It takes time for the water to become pure again. That's what happens in solitude. We let the noise settle. We let the activity settle. And we let the soul become clear and pure in the presence of God, receptive to God. Now, i got to stop because I'll just go over time. But I will say one other thing about solitude. You can have solitude any time, but the very best time is the first thing in the morning. You know why? Because when we, when we sleep, if our sleep is not disturbed, we wake up in solitude. If you've had a good night's sleep, you wake up in solitude. The soul is at rest. You want to preserve that. So to have a day of solitude, we plan to go from waking up into the place where we're going to have solitude without being disturbed. And we continue in that state of solitude. It's in solitude that we open ourselves to the presence of God. Of course, we also open ourselves to prayer. So solitude to me is an entry point into the spiritual practices. It makes room for prayer. It makes room for fasting. It makes room for study. It makes room for contemplation. Solitude. Jesus knew that he was going to face this huge temptation, and to prepare for it, he went out in the wilderness to be alone with his father. Lent is an invitation to seek God's presence. An invitation. God is a father. He's an unwounded father. Every healthy father has a great desire for his children. A father wants to be with his children. You say, well, George, how do you know? You and Hannah don't have any children. Oh, that's true. God in his grace has put within our lives so many younger people. And these younger people have become so special to us. And every now and then, one of them will say, you know, George and Hannah, you're like a father and mother to us. I would never say that about myself. But when somebody says that to me, I don't know that you could give a greater honor than for somebody to say that to you. People ask us, why do you keep going back to Germany? The last time we were there, our friend Detlef, you've heard me talk about him, He's a hotel owner. We were in the hotel one day. He sat us down 
And he said, Georgia, Hannah, you know, I want you to know something. If you ever get to the point where you can't come back to Germany, don't worry about your apartment. Just let me know. I will take care of everything. I will send you whatever you need, whatever you want. Anything you don't want, I'll take care of it. The furniture, I'll take care of that. Everything else, I'll take care of that. You don't, don't worry about that. I will take care of that. I thought to myself, my son is talking to me. He's having a talk with his parents. Can you believe that we have spiritual children that are Germans? I wish you could see Hannah in the Eiffel with some of these Germans. She's a spiritual mother to them. Germans. She's Jewish. Her parents were murdered. She's a spiritual mother. And there was a longing to be with our the Germans that have become so dear to us. So we are looking forward to going back. When we we're with Detlef, we're with Jesus. When we're in Gumun, we're with Jesus. When we're with the group that has put the Stolperstein in the payment, we're with Jesus. When we drive through the Eiffel, we're with Jesus in the villages, in the forests, in the fields. We're with Jesus. Jesus loves the Eiffel. The heart of Jesus is breaking for the Eiffel. God is longing for his children. Brothers and sisters, God is longing for us. God wants us. I was sitting here on Ash Wednesday at the service. I just felt God speak to me. Say to Christ Church Anglican, I'm not mad at them. I'm not a God that's mad at them. I long for them. I want them. I desire them. Lent is an invitation. But you see, a father doesn't want the love of his children by demand. He wants the love of his children by their own choice. So we have to respond. What are we going to say? The Father is inviting us to seek his presence. The place of beauty, the place of healing, the place of restoration, the place of joy. It's up to us to choose how we're going to answer.